Well, hello, everyone, and now it's time for um, Acts chapter 18. And so where has Paul been? Well, he has been, well, he's been all over, hasn't he? And he, when he, he hit Thessalonica, it seemed like he just had so many so many problems there, and and uh, the Jews there got jealous, and then um, then they came in up against him, and so they they were um, the the people who were for him, who loved Paul and Silas, they got Paul out of there. And it says in chapter 17, verse verse 10, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So, um, but remember last week how I told you that that even though Thessalonica seemed to be such a an, a place of opposition, somehow Paul's um, tenacity or his love for their souls and his consistency, he he pursued it, and and then we have the book, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians that it's just so obvious that. They, so many came around and saw the light of Jesus. But right now, he, was, he and Silas were sent to Berea. And remember in Berea, it was such a, a nice respite from what they had been through. Berea was a wonderful little town that were so, they were so eager to hear the scriptures. And, and um, they, they loved what Paul and Silas had to say. But then remember, they would always go back and check to see what, um, if, if what they said coincided with God's word, which is something that we should take a lesson in. We should always, whatever we hear from man, does it go with God's word? Um, it's so easy to believe people who are very convincing. But if something checks your spirit, if you feel like a little red flag, something isn't quite right, always check out with scripture. And then then um, after he was in Berea, then the, some of those jealous Jews came from Thessalonica and they got Paul out of um, Berea and sent him to the coast and then while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, see, they sent him to Athens, the city of Athens. And I know it's hard to keep straight all these towns, but it's kind of interesting, really, to see him journey through and to know what some of these cities, how pagan they were. And especially Athens, they were such a, a city of idols. In fact, we remember that, that they, and they loved to debate. These Greeks loved to debate. In fact, what, what does the Bible say? Those Athenians, the foreigner, and the foreigners who lived there in Athens spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And then, then we see Paul's um, beautiful Mars Hill speech. And um, he was very gracious, saying to them, uh, we noticed that you have a, a God that you even label unknown, just so that in case you miss one, that you want to make sure that that God is represented. And then when he says this, now that what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And so he, then he 
proclaimed, and we love that word because he is so sold on his message, and he proclaims to them um, the message of, of God, who he is, the creator of the world, but also Jesus. He brings in Jesus, but then when he brings up the resurrection, um, he he makes sure that they know about Jesus who died, but also rose. Um, there's going to be a judgment. He makes sure in that in that one speech, not not that long of one either. He he makes sure all of the aspects are in that speech, and then it says when they when they heard him speak of the resurrection, that's when they started well sneering at him, making fun of him. And uh, he, he decided then and there that even though they said that they wanted to hear again on this subject, he knew this Holy Spirit conveyed to him that they really didn't want to know, heart know. They just wanted to debate and they just wanted to just keep Paul going. And Paul left there and... Um, only a few, only a few people came to know Christ. Um, it says that a few men became followers. So it wasn't large numbers, but yet if you read the end of chapter 17, the people who responded were very influential people. So um, sometimes we get, we get so... Uh, taken over with numbers, and we think success is numbers, uh, how many numbers, but but we've got to remember that the Lord can do so much with a few. And then, then it says, in, as we move into 18 now, um, before we start, though, before we move into our new chapter, pray with me, please. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to move into chapter 18, to continue on this missionary journey of Paul and Silas. Father, we thank you how these lessons are going to be so relevant to our own life. May our heart be open to hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he now has gone to Corinth, and there in Corinth, he met this couple. It says there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordained or ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tin maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, Corinth, just so that you know, Corinth is a major city, and it is of importance to the Roman Empire because it was a crossroads. It had two harbors, and so it was a crossroads for trade and travel. It was a very loose, more moral city. And so there was much work to be done. And here in Corinth, Paul meets up with this couple who were thrown out of Rome, and they were Jews. And 
I always kind of thought that they were believing Jews, that they, that they knew Jesus, but it doesn't really say that. I think I just assumed, but, but it says the, the common denominator was they, they were tent makers, just like Paul was a tent maker. And uh, I didn't know this, but um, in Judaism, it was not considered proper for a scribe or a rabbi to receive payment for his teaching. So many of them practiced another trade in addition to their study and teaching. And so Paul had this trade of, of tent making and how, you know, how, how the Lord, if you got to see his hand here, that he is always one step ahead and how he brings Paul into this common denominator of tent making. And yet, can't you hear, would you love to hear their conversation? When you love to hear Paul, and they're talking about their tent making, they're talking probably about, you know, the weather, they're talking, and then, and then you know Paul, he is going to use every opportunity, and he knows they're Jewish, um, and yet he, he probably questions them to find out how much they believe about the gospel, the new way. And so we don't read for sure when this all transpired, but we sure know that they responded whenever to the gospel of Christ and they were used mightily with Paul in his, his ministry. They were a great part of the team. So, um, but it, it's just, I think, very enlightening to think if you look at these details, how you watch God's hand and, and his hand is... Its hand is working in our lives like that too. In that nothing's coincidence, nothing's by chance. It's the hand of God making sure we are with right people, right place, right time. And that is that is our God, the way He leads His children along. And that says that that every Sabbath, verse verse four, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Again, he goes and he tries so hard to persuade the Jews in the synagogue and the Greeks too because there were Greeks who believed um, the, the ways of the Jews. There were Greeks that, that believed that way. And so Paul was so concerned that they hear the rest of the story and that they take their belief from, like we say, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, when they finally came over now to, to Corinth, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So for some reason, when when um, Silas and Timothy came, then it was like, you know, his team was kind of in their places, and then he could just pretty much concentrate solely on exclusively in testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul, and became abusive. Now, we don't know if that word abusive, maybe, 
Maybe they were mean to him. Maybe they were saying bad things about him or to him. But, you know, the way Paul handled it, it said, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes and protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So I think Paul is, I think what their abusiveness was, it was they were saying, maybe they were saying, um, abusive things against Jesus and because he, he reacted in such a way that he just shook out his clothes in protest your blood be on your heads I'm clear of my responsibility I mean exclamation points and he even said from now on I will go to the Gentiles I mean he's he's upset and so I think you know when someone talks against your savior. I mean, say what you want about me, right? But but when someone talks against your savior, that's that's when it seems like it it really hits hits a nerve. And he just, ooh, he was very upset. In fact, it's a reminder that when we when we show live out explain Jesus, people's response is not our responsibility. We are just responsible to make sure that they know, that they see, that that there's no question, that there's no confusion. I mean, Paul was very direct and he made sure they understood and when they choose then to then be abusive against the Savior, then Paul says, you know what? <laughs> Your response is not my responsibility. My responsibility was telling you. And then what you choose to do with it is now on your head. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. I asked you a question about, you know, how... how um, you know what you what you thought about how, after going through that with the synagogue, with the, you know with the people being abusive and and hearing all that negativity and how how wonderful it must have been to be able to go right next door to a to a house whose whose person who lived there was named Tidius Justice and he was a worshiper. Oh, and then he was a worshiper of God. And then the synagogue ruler, Crispus, and his entire household believed. And then many Corinthians believed and were baptized. That, that had to have been such a uplifting. Um, I'm sure he, he thought to himself, there, that's what I have been called to do. 
even though he knew that people's response isn't his responsibility, but how it must have comforted him and, and how thrilled he must have been to see this kind of response. And then one night, because it had to have been bothering him, I mean, he, we have to remember that Paul is so human too. And we kind of put him up there thinking that he was, he was, he had like extra power, but he was working with the same powerful Holy Spirit as what we work with. And who was able to, and we see Paul stay so level most of the time. But sometimes human beings, we have a tendency to get a little more consumed with our own feelings and emotions. And when times are tough, we even catch ourselves slipping on that slippery slope and we feel ourselves going down, maybe even discouraged, maybe even fearful, maybe even doubtful. And, and just, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking at this thinking that Paul was human. And the Lord knew when to come. And I, I have red letters in my Bible. And you know that Jesus himself spoke, the Lord spoke to him in a vision right directly to him and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. So whatever Paul was feeling, maybe there was just those moments of, boy, this is tough. And there's so, it's so easy to get discouraged. And even though we know Paul was such a, oh, he's just one of the best, we have to remember that, you know, he felt just like we feel sometimes. It seems like we get overwhelmed. We get overcome with all the things and the ways of the world or our circumstances like Paul and we just kind of we just kind of feel weak. And we don't feel quite as fortified, but I'm sure that when Paul heard Jesus himself telling him to don't be afraid, you keep on speaking. Don't you dare be silent. It's so easy, especially when you have um, abusive people or people that are always coming against you. It's so easy to just be quiet and just, just shut up and then back away. And Jesus made sure that this was not going to happen to Paul. He reassured him that there was, he was going to have a time where there would be no one attacking him or harming him. And so that had been kind of like a relief, maybe built him up a little bit. And then it says in verse 11, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And being there a year and a half, he, he probably developed relationships. I'm sure everybody knew him. He knew people. I mean, there, it wasn't that he was just coming through, walking through. 
he was he was he he had probably he had a he had a place he stayed every night and and uh, people saw him in other places and a year and a half you get to know people they get to know you and so things were probably going quite smoothly. And then verse 12, while Galio was proconsul, he was a Roman official, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. It's like, uh, you know, that year and a half respite is over, and here they come again. But the thing that, the thing, and I hope you don't mind the, my little personal, because it's so minor compared to this, but I couldn't help but recall a time when I was in high school. And, you know, you, back in my day, it was, I mean, we didn't have popularity. We, I mean, everybody, everybody was the same. I mean, it, there wasn't any, any big issues with, I mean, we had a, maybe a more of a elite group or whatever, but, but for the most part, and, and you had, everybody was your friend. You got along with everybody. You might have known some, some, some of them better than others, but, but you knew everybody in your class. And this is kind of what I thought with Paul after being there a year and a half. He, he was, and things were going smooth and everybody liked him and he liked everybody. And, and then all of a sudden, the Jews made a united attack on him. It's people you just don't expect. When I was a senior in high school, I happened to be the secretary of the student council, and, and we had to have an election about, about something, and, and I won't get into all that, but, but when, when they had the first vote to, to pick the top three that the school voted, being that I was secretary of the student council, I was part of the count. And so me and a couple other uh, from the um, student council, we were counting the votes. And, and, you know, I hope you take me right when I say this, but my name was put, for the, for the girls anyway, my name was the top number. So then, they, then when we were counting, then we had to pick the next two so that there would be a top three. Then, then we'd vote again, and then people would pick one from the three. So the first vote, when we just had to count all the votes and just pick the top votes of, every, of everybody, I mean, it was... I mean, it was just no contest. I mean, I was the winner. But we had to take the next two because that's the way it was. So then we, we put it out again. We took the top three. And, and in the meantime, when the top three were brought to the school, when, when everybody knew who the top three were, and then they had a vote between those times, between the time that they heard who the top three were, and then when they voted, my friends... I thought they were my friends. And somehow they they made a pack and and to this day I don't know why they did this. I really don't know why they did this to um to make sure that I didn't win and the person that was second 
had so many fewer votes. I mean, it, it just, there was just no no comparison. And then, but the influence, the influence of I don't know what happened to my friends in quotation marks. In fact, I heard later they said that when the vote came and we vote and and I was a part of the count. I lost my three votes. And you know, I could care less about whether I won or lost, to tell you the truth. And as I'm standing here, as God is my witness, I don't care about the win or the loss. I think that what broke my heart the most was that the people that came against me, the people that started rumors and that started saying negative things against me to to get the get the votes to go in another direction because I heard that late later when people when I heard many many kids say oh but you know you have no idea what they were saying about you and I'm thinking to myself you know that came to my mind like I said I know it's so minor but I think many of us have been there when we thought we had a, a relationship with people and, and then for some reason it says they were united and it might not only be a few but they can be so influential that they can cause so much trouble and so much hurt because I'm looking at this and, and I'm thinking Paul had to have been hurt when things were going well and now and now these Jews are united and, and they bring up what? Look at they say. This man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. You know, they knew how to just take the truth and twist it. Of course, Paul loved the law. That's why he always went to the synagogue and wanted to reach the Jews. He, he is just trying to say, but there's so much more to the story now. And this Jesus, he really, truly is the Messiah. And he's trying to persuade them, because this is what we see. He went into the synagogues to persuade the Jews and, and the Gentiles. So, and I'm sure it crushed him when he thought, how could they do this to me? I thought we had this friendship. Well, I thought we had this relationship. And I think in verse 14, it says, just as Paul was about to speak, I think he probably wanted to say maybe the same words that I'm saying. How could you do this to me? Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge to these things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sophonies, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. 
Miguelio showed no concern. Whatever. He didn't show any concern. And I tried to figure out now who, who did the beating. And no matter how I looked at it, I, I kind of thought it was the Jews that did this because they were so mad that Galio didn't, didn't stand up and, and do what they wanted against Paul. It could have been the Greeks themselves that are doing this, but, but poor Sophonies, the synagogue ruler, was beaten right in front of the court and nothing was done. And it could be whether it was the Jews or maybe it was both, the Jews and the Greeks. But both showed an opposition against Paul. And Galio didn't even stand up and do anything about it. And I just want to insert here that in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1, this Sosthenes became a believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So, I mean, to me, I, I just like to have a, a little happy ending to this because this, this poor guy was, beat, was beaten. But whatever, however... He heard the words of Paul and became a believer. Paul stayed on in Corinth. Despite all that, he stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. Now again, I don't know if you are even interested in this, but what does that mean? What, what vow had he taken? What's this whole thing about his hair being cut? Why was he letting it grow? So I did some investigating, and, and it's a pretty sure thing that sometime ago, somewhere, we don't know when, but Paul took a vow, a Nazarite vow. Now, make sure you know the difference between a Nazarite and a Nazarene. A Nazarene is one that comes from Nazareth. But a Nazarite is someone who voluntarily takes this vow of consecration and separation and it, it's taken from Numbers chapter 6, 1 to 21, if you want to read about it. And it, anybody could take this, this vow. In fact, I mean, the Old Testament, Samson and Samuel, both were Nazarites because of the promise their mothers made. But they, as of this vow, they were to abstain from anything made with grapes. They were to refrain from cutting their hair. 
and they were to have no contact with, with a dead person or graves. So those were the three things that were kind of the visuals when they took this Nazarite vow to consecrate themselves, separate themselves to the Lord's service. And they could take this vow for just for as long as they wanted. They, had, they could choose the whole, their period of time in which they wanted to, to be consecrated and separated. And then what they did was they abstained from anything of the vine of grapes. They were refrained from cutting their hair and they could not be in contact with any dead people, even their own families. And then it says when they choose to to step out of that vow, then this is what they have to do. They have to offer three offerings, a lamb for a burnt offering, a ewe for a sin offering, and a ram for a peace offering. And then in addition to this peace offering, this ram, they take a basket of unleavened bread, grain, and, and that accompanies the peace offering. And then they also shave their head. And they, they take the hair and then they place that on the fire along with the peace offering and the grains and the unleavened bread and the drink offering. Those were all part of the peace offering along with the ram. And then the, the cut-off hair is also put on the fire. I know it sounds a little strange, but this, is, this was a real, a real reverent vow. And these were the, this was the criteria that had to be followed. So in verse 19, they arrived in Ephesus. So after he, he um, cut off his hair and now was released from this vow, it says, now they arrive in Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Did you have to smile? At least I did. I did. I couldn't help but smile because I, in the, I just went back a few verses when Paul is so upset because the, the, these, these certain Jews had opposed Paul and became abusive. And he got so upset and he said, from now on I will go to the Gentiles. And then here he is going right back and he is in Ephesus. He goes right back into the synagogue and he, he tries to reason with the Jews. If that doesn't show you that he has a love for those people. He has a love for his own people. He, he knows, he by now absolutely knows that if they don't receive Jesus, all of their religion is for naught. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. Apparently, he knew it was he had to he had to get going. But he said, "But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will.'" Then he said, "Sail from Ephesus." And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, 
See, we, we don't see it here. I mean, we don't hear it or put it into words here, but you know that all of this timetable and where to go next, you know Paul is under the guidance of God's Spirit. And so, after spending much time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and and and. Fergia, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 23, chapter 18, is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey. And meanwhile, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So now we kind of go back because a Aquila and Priscilla stayed in Ephesus and and Paul moved on so after we know that Paul is now going through the area of Galatia and, and Phrygia then there back in Ephesus there is a Jewish man named Apollos he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now again, right right place, right time, you have Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him. They heard this Apollos. And they heard how eloquent he was speaking. How thorough he was in the way of the Lord. He, they, they, they could hear how, how fervently he believed it. But they also knew that he, he didn't know. He really didn't didn't know the rest of the story of Jesus, even though he taught about Jesus accurately. He hadn't gotten to the cross, the resurrection. He didn't get to that part, and that's the salvation message. John's John's baptism was of repentance, and it's like he, he was halfway there, because when John preached repentance, he couldn't save them. But he got them to the point of repentance, seeing themselves the way they really were so that they would understand their need of why Jesus had to come. Now look how, look how beautifully Aquila and Priscilla handled this. Instead of just running up to him and in front of everybody embarrassing him, saying, oh, you, you don't have it all. You know, they could have uh, maybe looked at themselves as, we know more than you do, and, and, uh, and maybe almost been boisterous about it. But I just love the way when they heard Aquila and Priscilla, they invited him to their home and explained to him the to him the way of God more adequately. So, how gentle! What a what a sweet spirit of correcting. 
Instead of lamb blasting him and embarrassing him in front of everybody, they invited him over and they said, Let, let's, let's teach you. We want to explain to you the rest of the story. We want to explain to you that this Jesus that you, that you accurately talk about his teachings, and he probably knew a lot about Jesus and what he had done when he was on this earth. But they said, oh, we want to tell you about his mission, and that was to the cross, so that you can be saved. And that, that happened through the power of his resurrection. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. And you go down into the grave in your old nature, and you come out new in Christ. When Apollos wanted, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When you when you look at Apollos, he wanted to keep going. He wanted to. Now he's now he's got the whole story. And so the brothers encouraged. I'm sure Aquila and Priscilla, they put their stamp of approval and they encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him that, that he, he's got it down. His heart is right. He's experienced it for himself. Because remember, you can't take anybody farther than what you are. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. And there, there's, the, there's the clincher. Because they, they, those who believed, they believed by grace. And what is, how do you believe by grace? It's that undeserved favor. It's the message of Jesus going to the cross, this perfect son of God, son of man, going to the cross for you and I, worthless sinners. And grace is, grace is, is what does it? Because we couldn't do it, we couldn't do it at all on our own. And so the way, the way Luke wrote this is that the, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And on arriving, he was a great help because he didn't understand. Because now he too was one of them that was a believer by grace. Saved by grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, because he had the whole answer, he wanted to do what Paul and Silas and the team, Aquila and Priscilla, he realized that people were so stuck in their old ways, he wanted to make sure that they were set free. He wanted to make sure that they understood that they were not under law anymore, but they were under grace. And because he was so prepared, he was so thorough in his knowledge of Scripture, because he was, he was just so good at it, because he was instructed, but now he's so good at it because he 
believes completely. He's got the rest of the story. And it's like he couldn't be contained. And he had a heart for the Jews. And he was willing to, to, to debate and dispute vigorously. Because he knew that unless you bring Jesus into the equation and tell you bring Jesus and take him to the cross and you watch him come out of the grave, he knew that they were lost. So Apollos is a name and Aquila and Priscilla are two names that that we can't help but see how, how God is continuing through Jesus to change people's lives and how he continues to want to change people's lives. And how does he do it? Hopefully we can make ourselves available like Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. Do we love the story, the complete story of the gospel so much? Are we so grateful for his grace do we really understand how lost we would be? Are we, are we excited enough to let him change our lives? That we realize that our purpose on this earth is not for ourselves, but for him. Because without accepting Jesus, people are lost and will be lost for all eternity. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson, for using real people that needed to be stretched. and Like even Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, they, they needed to hear the rest of the story. Like, like people like Cornelius, like Lydia, that being religious is just not enough. Knowing that there is a God and there's only one God is not enough. We need to develop a relationship with our Savior, Jesus, who is now Lord of Lords, King of Kings, who will come back, as we have heard Paul say, he will come back to judge. God the Father will, has given him the authority to come back and will be the judge to those who have said no. Father, this is real. And we, we, through these lessons, are learning that. These lessons need to go to the depths of our soul because maybe we have played religion. Maybe we have stopped in our growing and our maturing, thinking that we know enough. But Lord, thank you for using these real people to just show us. And Lord, thank you for giving us your word that is such a treasure of truth. The more we dig, the more we find. Father, it really is true that if you can tell our heart, if we really want you, you'll see to it we have you. And what a life that is. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow, whatever it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.